The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. You ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the charts spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. <laughs> This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And we are back, folks, on Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. I'm Alejandro Suniga, here with another episode of Behind Enemy Lines, where we take a closer look at the Michigan football team's upcoming opponent. The bye week is over. It is finally here. It's rivalry week. It's Michigan versus Michigan State. And I am so excited to have with me today, Stephen Brooks, who covers Michigan State, all things Spartans for 24-7 sports. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it, it was weird. I, I think I heard that this is the first time that both teams have been on the bye week heading into this game. I, it definitely felt weird on, uh, leading into it. I think I heard that recently, too, so... Um, very excited about the night game atmosphere and just, uh, you know, see how this thing plays out. Yeah, I, I think you're right with both teams being on the bye week. It's it's certainly been uh, a long week. Bye weeks are always long in the middle of the football season. But when you add the fact that it's it's the rivalry game, it's the in-state rivalry game, and it's both teams on a bye, it makes it feel especially long. And it will be a few right. hours longer than, you know, than you might expect, because as you mentioned, it is going to be a night game. Got a 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ABC. Uh, it should be quite quite the atmosphere at Michigan Stadium. Uh, and it's a game that Michigan as a program has been waiting for for quite some time, right? Uh, Michigan against Mel Tucker is 0-2. And you go back all the way to spring camp uh, following the 2021 college football playoff uh, through spring camp and certainly in fall camp. The Michigan State game was one of those that was circled right away uh, because as as Michigan fans and Michigan State fans are well aware, uh, Kenneth Walker ran wild last year. Uh, Michigan let a double digit lead in the second half slip away, uh, and it was their only loss of that 2021 season. So uh, Michigan has set itself four goals for this season as a program. Uh, it is, you know, win the Big Ten championship win the national championship, beat Ohio State, uh, and the first of those and the one that's immediately attainable is beat Michigan State. Uh, so with that, Stephen, let's turn our eyes to the Spartans. Uh, as you mentioned, both teams were on their bye this week. Otherwise, though, these are two teams that have taken divergent paths 
uh, with this season. Uh, Michigan yeah. is undefeated in the top five. Michigan State uh, came in similarly ranked, had high aspirations, uh, but suffered a really brutal four-game stretch uh, where they went 0-4 uh, to drop to a losing record uh, before the bye, got back on track with a double overtime win against Wisconsin. Uh, but Stephen, I want to toss it over to you. Uh, it, it was a season of high expectations, certainly hasn't lived up to it so far, but it's been a program overhaul where, where Mel Tucker last year was maybe ahead of schedule. Uh, so, so what's this season been like from a Michigan State perspective? Correct. Yeah. When you said that, like ahead of schedule, like I wish more Michigan State fans understood that, you know, like like in a this is a rebuild. It was a rebuild when Mel Tucker got here. It still is today. And you just don't win 11 games in the second year of, of a rebuild of a new coaching staff like that really just doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, I was sort of on the lower end of the expectations this year. I thought maybe uh, I picked them to go eight and four, you know, and I think the variance was sort of anywhere from seven to ten wins. Um, you know, and I don't think a lot of people did understand that, that, that they were ahead of schedule last year and that that was, um, like it wasn't fake or anything, obviously like it happened, but that just, it, it didn't speak to the, the true state of the program, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so, you know, I think thing, the way things have gone this year, like they're just trying to make a bowl game now, obviously. Um, but, but that would still, if you say they would say they win six games and say they win seven, uh, this year, like if you zoom out and just said in year three, you went to a bowl game, you won six or seven games, like that would be a fairly normal sort of rebuild. It's year two that really skews everything. Like that was the unusual uh, outlier there in terms of, you know, a hundred years of college football history. But anyway, so to your point, man, like how, what the, the simplest way to put this Michigan State season is like the two biggest things, the one thing on each side of the ball that everybody thought could be big problems have proven to be big problems. And so on the offensive side, it's the O-line. Um, you know, they lost uh, two starters from last year, three starters actually from last year. And a lot of, they played this really sort of um, unorthodox rotation there, you know, I mean, almost like a basketball team, you know, they would shift a couple guys in here and then this guy would take a break for two or three series and he'd come back. And, you know, you just don't see that a lot. And I think for good reason, but they had like 10 guys who had starting experience, a lot of fourth, fifth, sixth year seniors, and they trusted them. So they would just, you know, they felt it worked for them and they, and, uh, they could keep guys fresh. They were able to stay pretty healthy. And they're like, look, we got all these old guys that we can play. Let's just play them. You know, this year, I say all that to say, losing all that experience and talent, this unit just has not um, has not made up for it, you know. And, and even last year, even with all those veteran guys, they weren't this dominant O-line by any stretch. I mean, Kenneth Walker made them look a lot better than they were. Really, you can probably say that for almost everybody in the building. Um, but especially that O-line, he covered up a lot of holes. I mean, that was an average – sort of Big Ten offensive line at, at its best, and he made them look really good at times. Uh, this year, they've been well below average for for most of the season. You know, they just – they cannot run the ball effectively on anybody. You see a – you know, if I had a graph right here of their rushing production, it would take – it falls off a cliff once they started playing Power 5 teams. You know, they looked okay against Western and Akron. With all due respect, that's Western and Akron. Then the Washington game immediately a, a severe drop-off. Uh, rushed for seven yards against, uh, I think it was Ohio State, um, somebody, I think I think it was that game, you know, um, three games under 100 rushing yards um, against Power 5 opponents. So this, they, they are they're decent pass blockers, I will say. They don't give up a ton of sacks. They can protect Peyton Thorne fairly well uh, at, for, for the most part, but it's just a debilitating weakness when you cannot run the ball, and it's, it's primarily because of the offensive line. There's other factors. The tight ends aren't great blockers. 
the backs, I think, have, uh, especially their two new guys, Jalen Berger and Jarek Roussard, have, have uh, taken some time to get used to the system. I don't think they've always seen things the best. Uh, and I think maybe because of maybe a lack of confidence in the O-line, they, they try to go off script or press things and whatnot. They don't run very patiently all the time. So there's been other elements, but the biggest has been by far the offensive lines uh, just – you know, lack of production, quite honestly. So they, they can't run the ball on everybody. That makes offense very hard, whether you're the play caller, the quarterback, anything to do with that. It makes the entire deal very, very hard. On the other end, they've been almost equally bad uh, in the secondary, which everybody knew last year was an issue. Michigan State gave up more passing yards per game than any team in the country, dead last nationally. Um, and so they come right back out this year with effectively the same personnel. They added Georgia transfer Amir Speed at cornerback, and he started every game for him, but he has not done much to lift that group at all. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's had a particularly strong season, actually, at all. But uh, so you've basically got the same guys back out there, and we're seeing, for the most part, a lot of the same results. I mean, it's the way I've put it is, like, anybody with a competent passing game can really have a walk in the park against Michigan State's defense right now. And you know, that might seem harsh or whatever, but, like, it's just been the truth. Just look at the Minnesota game. They came in, you know, trying to run the ball on everybody. Of course, that's their identity is sort of smash mouth, ground and pound football. They came right out throwing it. And Tanner Morgan, which, you know, respect, tip my cap. I think he's a solid college player, but goes 23 for 26 passing against Michigan State. You know, they sort of completely changed their uh, identity for a day. They, they, they didn't, didn't just go air raid on them, of course, but they, they were throwing it, you know, early and often and willingly and, and knowing that that's where they could get uh, chunk plays on Michigan State. So, they just they they're not good in coverage, you know. They've been shaky at tackling. Um, there's just not a lot to like in the back end right now. And there's so many, you know. I've, I've been fortunate to be at the games, but like when you go back and watch them on TV, you see so many completions with nobody from Michigan State even on the screen. Like that type of like what the heck just happened thing. Like either the guy, either there's a miscommunication, or sometimes the guys just get beat that bad. You know, there's not a Spartan on the frame uh, when the guy catches the ball. It's not like catch, boom, tackle to the ground. It's like catch step 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 oh here's a defender all right now let me make a move you know it's it's very rarely like contested balls in the air uh or like I said, you know just making it difficult it's, it's the people are making very easy catches across the michigan state defense and that's been pretty much a constant throughout the year so it's those two main things when you look at why they've sunk from maybe some of the high expectations some people saying you know could they be a dark horse big 10 contender um the main reason they've fallen fallen off is because of those two things on one, one on each side of the ball well, we'll certainly take a look at the defense in a bit. Um, I do want to get started w- with the offense specifically. Um, it shocked me a little. I've, I've seen some Michigan State football this year. You know, I get back from the Michigan game, turn on, you know, whatever's on, and I've caught some some Michigan State. Uh, and it surprised me then to open up the, the Big Ten rankings and see how far down they are uh, from an offensive perspective because – I look at who's on the roster and the way I see it, I see that the pieces are there, right? I, you know, Peyton Thorne at quarterback, is he, you know, the best quarterback in the big 10? No, but he's a very solid big 10 quarterback, right? He's a, he's a guy who's a second year starter uh, who certainly could be a game manager last year when you had a guy uh, like Kenneth Walker, but, but he's someone who is mobile enough to extend plays uh, to avoid sacks. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, and has a pretty good deep ball. And then to that point, has a couple of really good receivers starting, especially with Jaden Reed, um, but then also Keon Coleman, who seems to have taken a, a big step up as a sophomore, uh, you know, has a couple of bigger guys who can go up and get those deep balls. 
and then of course uh, you, you touched on uh, Jalen Berger, the, tra- the transfer running back from Wisconsin. Um, you know, didn't necessarily expect him to be at a, a Kenneth Walker level, but expected to see more more production on the ground uh, than what you just alluded to. Uh, so I guess where when when you're looking at the Michigan State offense, you touched on the offensive line. Is it really that simple? Is it just that, you know, the skill position pieces are there, but the offensive line just isn't built around it? Is it that that Peyton Thorne hasn't taken the sophomore step that people expected him to take? Like what is missing there on the offensive side of the ball? I do really think a lot of it comes back to the O-line, but there's been other things. I thought coming into this year, um, you know, I talked about like that major question on each side of the ball. Like I thought this could be a really good offense if that O-line came together. And like I said, I wasn't a big fans of them last year, even when they were winning all those games and rushing for all those yards. Um, you know, I really did give a lot of the credit to Kenneth Walker there and, and that just sound fu- sounded funny at the time or something, but you look at it, it was a major, major question mark for me coming into this year. And they just, and they're, they're older guys too. I mean, everybody that's starting on that line is at least a fourth year player and they're just, they're just not cutting it, you know, to the point that like, if this game goes South, uh, I, I could absolutely see like some real hard conversations going in November about sort of hitting reset at that position and maybe going young, you know, and sort of starting starting the clock on the 2023 season in that regard. And now it'll get a little tricky because there is still a bowl game on the line, you know, if they can finish out strong in November and everything. So maybe not, but I think you'd have, I think you'd at least have to have that conversation because of, you know, how much these guys have let you down. Yeah. Cause like you said, elsewhere, the, the offense is kind of ready to go. Peyton Thorne would be the other thing I would say that I don't think he's taken, as you mentioned, I don't think he's taken that step at all that everybody in that, that played into a lot of those preseason assumptions, their rankings. And I think a lot of people assumed that he would just by virtue of just being back by virtue of just being a year older, he would take this step and, and, and be more of a guy who wins you games as opposed to just manages them and, and sort of, you know, exists as the point guard there. Um, that really hasn't happened. You know, I think for a variety of reasons, I, I don't think he trusts his offensive line the most. He also hasn't been healthy very much, you know, even going back to training camp, there's been minor to less minor things going on basically the entire year for him. So he's not running the ball very much at all. You did mention his mobility. That has been like a sneaky part of his game. He's not doing that very often because, you know, he just admitted to us like the week before the, before the Wisconsin game. Um, that, like he hasn't been 100% healthy since week one. And I, based on everything I've gathered, I don't even think if he truly was in training camp. So his accuracy has been weird. He's gambling with the ball too. That's like the major thing last year. What, what won him the job and like kept him in that job. Cause you remember they brought in a, a transfer, Anthony Russo from temple, who was a six year guy had started like 30 plus games. Like Thorne really wasn't supposed to be the guy last year, you know, on paper, but he won the job and kept the job because he was so risk averse. He would never make that, that goofball decision, you know, struggling with the ball on third down, you know, trying to make a play and he gets knocked out or, forcing something into double coverage, triple coverage. Like he almost never did that stuff. And this year he's done a lot of that stuff, quite honestly. So I don't know if it's, uh, if it's, you know, feeling urgency of not having Kenneth Walker there or feeling like he has to take that step and be the guy for this offense. I don't really know, but he hasn't been super sharp this year, regardless of the reason. Um, But elsewhere, yeah, it does seem like a ready-made offense. I mean, uh, Malik Carr and Daniel Barker, I'll, I'll talk about them a lot. I'm sure. And probably even later, like, there are two guys uh, that I'm really looking at this week Um, just because Michigan state hasn't used the tight end very well. I know Michigan has not defended tight ends uh, recently super well. Like that's a position I'm looking at all day and saying, why are why are there not more balls going to these guys? Uh, If you watch last week's last game against Wisconsin, Malik Carr 
had like a 72 yard, I think it was, catch and run. He's just run. I mean, the guy's 6'6, 245 or something, just rumbling down. Michigan folks probably know him. He's from Oak Park. He plays basketball on the side. Like NFL prospect, like just measurables athleticism wise, absolutely all day. And I don't even think he has 10 catches on the season. We just saw that one against Wisconsin, what he's able to do. Daniel Barker is a transfer they got from Illinois, who uh, caught 12 touchdowns across four years. Of Illinois is their tight ends career receiving touchdowns record holder over there. Um, dynamic dude with the ball in his hands. Neither of them are great blockers, and that's why you don't see him out there every single snap. Uh, and that's probably why you don't see him catching the ball a ton necessarily. But I think they've got to force some things to to one or both of those guys this week because they are they can be difference makers if you just get them the ball and give them more opportunities to be dangerous like that. You mentioned Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed. I think they're, you know, outside of Ohio State, I think they're as good of a, a receiving duo as you'll find in this league, quite honestly. Uh, Michigan fans know Jaden Reed and what he's about. You know, he can – I always think of him as like a poor, 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 poor man's Antonio Brown, just in terms of his <laughs> game and his build, his physique, like uh, built like him but can do that shifty stuff underneath, can break tackles, but somehow will elevate and catch jump balls over people too, even though he's, you know, barely six foot barely 180 pounds like I always say he's way better than he should be at, at those at uh, those 50 50 contested balls but he is really really good at those and he's just he's he's got that clutch gene element too if you believe in any of that I mean he's been a gamer for them um in several different respects uh punt return ability there too he's had two two returns for touchdowns this year that have both been called back by penalty and then Keon Coleman is a, another guy that's like NFL measurables written all over him um he also played basketball folks remember that uh, he had a dozen basketball offers in high school. Just a, a true freak athlete. I think that gets overused a lot these days. Keon Coleman truly is a freak athlete. I mean, 6'4", 210, can jump uh, uh, out of the gym, out of the field, whatever whatever your venue. Uh, I don't know his 40 time, but he's fast, he's big, he's strong. Like, and he's, he's taken that sophomore step uh, so far. You know, last year it was kind of just learning what this was. Because, look, he went to a smaller high school in Louisiana, and he was just dominating people just based off physical traits. And so he kind of was still trying to do that a little bit last year. This year, he's, you see he's much more refined in terms of being a wide receiver, all the nuances of the position of playing team football at that position, of the intricacies of an offense and the route tree and all that stuff. So he's blossomed uh, quite a bit. He's still not there where he's an every game dominator yet. I do think he can probably be there that day just because the, the physical tools are that great. Um, but he's not there yet, but he's still a guy that – uh, I'd be very, very nervous about leaving one-on-one -on -one just about in any situation. Uh, Jim Harbaugh came out flat out and said it in his Monday afternoon press conference. Uh, he said, Michigan State's wide receiver core is the most talented we've faced thus far this season uh, from a Michigan perspective. And you know, Michigan, of course, hasn't played Ohio State yet, but they have played Penn State and especially Maryland. Uh, it, Maryland has a very talented group of wide receivers. I think, especially at the top end, uh, Jaden Reed is, you know, he's one of those guys where you see him on, on the sports center top 10 all the time uh, because he's making those highlight reel catches. Those, as you said, uh, that you don't think he should be able to do, but he does come down with them. Uh, so, and as you mentioned too, uh, the, the Michigan defense has struggled with, with defending tight ends. Uh, the linebackers have been suspect in coverage. Uh, that's something that the Iowa was able to take advantage of. One of the few things that Iowa does successfully in general and could do successfully against Michigan in that game. Uh, it's an area that the Indiana targeted fairly well. Uh, Michigan's defense as a whole played very well against Penn state a couple weeks ago. Um, 
but there are, are certainly aspects to be taken advantage of. Uh, and especially when you're looking at a wide receiver core as talented as Michigan State's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for, for a secondary, a Michigan secondary that has stood up to the task so far this year, uh, but the level of competition is on its way up. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about the Michigan State defense. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. New CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. About to set it up. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii, Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And we are back, folks, on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. I'm Alejandro Suniga over at the Michigan Insider, talking today with Stephen Brooks, who covers all things Michigan State for 24-7 sports. Uh, we just got done talking about the Michigan State offense, uh, which is, at least on paper, uh, the more productive of the two units, offense versus defense. Uh, Going to shift gears now and talk about the defense, uh, which, Stephen, you touched on a little bit earlier uh, and the one game that you highlighted or the one player that you highlighted uh, was Tanner Morgan over at Minnesota, uh, who had just a career day against the Spartans. Uh, that of, of all the games that Michigan State has played this year, you know, I, I know that Michael Penix is a very good quarterback at Washington and playing at Washington is no easy thing. C.J. Stroud, of course, is an excellent quarterback, the, you know, the class of the Big Ten uh, and one of one of the better players in the country, certainly a Heisman Trophy favorite at this point in the year. You know, Talia Tungavailoa over at Maryland, very good quarterback. You expect him to put up numbers against pretty much any defense. Uh, but Tanner Morgan, when I saw his stat line, he had three touchdowns and three incompletions against the Spartans. And, yeah. you know, that's that's a Minnesota team. Like you said, it's, it's Mo Ibrahim. They, they are you know, they're not afraid to throw it, but they make their money on the ground. So we began this podcast by talking, by you talking about the two pieces of the Michigan State team that you thought could really be weaknesses and that have shown to be weaknesses. I think the one that even if you don't follow Michigan State, you know, it's the secondary. You know, this is a secondary that was one of the worst in the country, if not the worst in the country last year. Uh, it's one that Mel Tucker himself seemed like he took it under his wing for a spell uh, during fall camp and trying to get it up to speed. Uh, but it's one that doesn't seem to have made much of a market improvement, uh, despite bringing in some transfers, despite you know the knowledge that this was an area that really needs to improve. So, Stephen, I guess you, you've touched on it briefly, but you know, what, what, it, how, how do you not improve on basically the worst secondary in the country? What, what's, what's gone so wrong? 
Yeah, there's there's a couple components. Um, I think sort of like I mentioned with Peyton Thorne, I think that there was a thought, uh, even you know, I, even in the building, I think like that all those guys coming back next year or uh, coming back this year would lead to just some natural improvement. Like, look, they they did finish dead last nationally in, in passing yards allowed per game. Is and as bad as they were, like you really can't convince me that they were the worst set of defensive backs in college football, right? I mean, then they, they they're they're closer to the bottom than the top, of course. I'm not trying to trying to sugarcoat that at all, but the absolute worst group of DBs, I, I have a hard time believing that. So, um, I think there was a natural assumption that that they, they would all take a step forward and get a little bit better, you know. And if everybody gets a little bit better, then you've got that accumulation. Maybe you've got some. I mean, nobody was expecting them to to do a full 180 here, but I was just saying, can you just get to like the 60s to the 70s nationally, you know, as, as opposed to the 120s, you know, just just be at the bottom of power five, at least something like that. And it really hasn't happened. A lot of those guys, you know, that that natural assumption really hasn't panned out. I mean, Ronald Williams, who started uh, all of last year, has hardly played this year. Amir Speed came in and took his job from Georgia. And like I said, Speed, I don't think it's been anything uh, to write home about. He hasn't really upgraded that unit much at all. Um, in fact, I'm kind of still surprised he is starting at this point. Charles Brantley, number zero, had the interception against Michigan last year. A really, really slight sophomore, you know, maybe 160 pounds, maybe. You know, uh, he plays really hard, hits really hard somehow, despite his lack of body weight. Um, he's been solid. He's still growing. He's very much a young player. He's, he'd be a guy that I think people would be excited about if they had this, like, seasoned, proven lockdown veteran on the other side. But it's like they don't have that either, you know. <laughs> Uh, safety play has been uh, up and down, you know, it really, really just down, I guess. I mean, it's been weird there because they've had injuries, right? So Xavier Henderson, number three, is like, he's their most experienced player by far. He's their communicator. He's their leader, their captain, all that. He got hurt in the first half of game one against Western. Didn't come back until the last game against uh, Wisconsin. So all those losses in a row, he was out for that. Um, and, and I think you know, it's clear, it was clear in that game. I expect him to look better this weekend, but it was clear in that Wisconsin game that he wasn't quite a hundred percent, even though he was back out there, but it was definitely, you could tell like he just was, a, he was a half step slow and, you know, some of his, his technique was a little, um, looked a little rusty and everything. So, you know, they've had injuries there. So that's, that's shaken up the safety position. They had tried a true freshman, Jaden Mangum. He played for a little bit, looked decent. Um, then he got hurt. And so he's been out. They had Kendall Brooks who, who came here as a transfer from, Division two, uh, North Greenville in South Carolina. And he is actually playing pretty well. And then he was, he was out for the Wisconsin game. I think it was. Um, so they've had sort of a revolving door there, but Angelo gross was the guy who was the, was the constant. He was, he was getting picked apart a lot. You know, um, you could see opposing offenses targeting him and, and picking him out and wherever he's at, that's where we're going. Basically. Um, there was a lot of that. He's since moved to nickel. And I think that's a better position for him. Um, now that they got Henderson back and they can do a couple other things at safety. I think that's his best position, but all in all, like, why has it not gotten better? Like God, they're just, the personnel isn't that good, first of all, but also their pass rush has, has really not, um, helped them out whatsoever. I mean, the first two weeks, Jacoby Winman was like a, a national name, you know, the, he's a transfer from UNLV. And so he came in as a linebacker. Uh, they said he would do some rush uh, stuff on third down and stand up defensive end line of scrimmage type of stuff. And so he had sort of a hybrid role. And then at the end of training camp, they moved him to defensive end full time. They're like, wait a second, this guy's our best DN. Uh, we think we need him there. So he starts off the season there. I think he had five and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, uh, and maybe like 12 tackles or something across the first two games. I mean, he's winning all these 
getting all these accolades against Western Michigan and Akron. And much like I mentioned, that run production chart falling off a cliff once they hit power five opponents, uh, so did the pass rush. So did Jacoby Winman's uh, impact, quite honestly. I mean, he didn't have a sack against Washington. And I don't even know if he he might have like one more the rest of the way. And then he moves back to linebacker last game. Um, but the, I say all that to say like the, the pass, the secondary is not being helped by an effective pass rush at all. He was the only guy that was giving him really any consistent juice. And now he's not even playing the end anymore. And he really wasn't giving him that against power five opponents anyway. So they're kind of being hung out to dry a little bit when you have to cover that long. And that's, that's obviously really hard to do. Uh, they don't have a great pass rushing line without Winman. And you know, as, as I said, even when he was down there, he was kind of really just dominating the lesser competition. Um, on the flip side, and which is why one, one reason why I give Michigan State at least a, an outside puncher's chance in this game, though, is uh, there's, there's two strands, I think, of DNA from the Mark D'Antonio era that are still in this program. The one is obviously, of course, how they approach this Michigan game, and, and this is the importance. The other one, though, is, is just run defense. Like, everybody knows, you know, for a decade there, they were really, really hard to run on, for the most part, with maybe one or two outliers. That's still been the case throughout the Mel Tucker era, pretty much. Um, and there's still that's still true this year, you know. I, I just I, I think with Jacob Slade in the middle, he came back last week after missing some time. Uh, they're deep at defensive tackle with Simeon Barrow, Maverick Hansen, uh, Jalen Hunt. They, they, and if Jeff Petrowski, one of their other ends, comes back this week, he'll be a factor, I think, defending the run. Obviously, that's Michigan's bread and butter. I just don't think – I expect Michigan to have a healthy day, a nice day. They're not going to get just erased on the ground, but I don't think they're going to put up crazy numbers either. I think Michigan State will be able to get enough stops provide enough uh, resistance there against the run um, to maybe keep things interesting, maybe in a certain scenario. Um, and then the linebackers have been pretty weak, you know, in pass coverage this year. They're, they're pretty good against the run. They're solid tacklers for the most part, but you can get a lot of things by them in the middle of the field in the passing game. And so that obviously adds to the pass total that Michigan State's given up. Um, so it makes the secondary look worse, you know, so not everything is on them. They're a lot quite a lot on them, but they also have linebackers in front of them that don't cover very well and a D line in front of them. That's not rushing very well. So there is a bit of an all encompassing element to it. I, I will say, I mentioned before that I've been able to watch some, some Michigan state football, you know, live on TV uh, coming back after Michigan football games. And it's remarkable. The number of times I've turned on my TV, flipped the channel to the Michigan state game and seen that they're stuffing a, a run up the middle you know, like a fourth and goal up the middle. It seems like it's happened three or four times this season. Uh, when I look at the Michigan State defense, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Jacob Slade came back from injury, but it's those D tackles. It's the interior uh, of the defensive line that to me uh, is what really stands out. And, you know, that's that's going to be really interesting to see how Michigan plays it because certainly Michigan is a team that that prides itself on its ability to, to run the ball. You know, if Jim Harbaugh could you know, have a, a nine minute drive that was all running plays. He would take that every single time. And in fact, has done so many times this season. Uh, but that's not the ideal matchup against Michigan State. I think JJ McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback, he's hinted at the fact that there's going to be a bit more of, of a passing attack against Michigan State. Jim Harbaugh himself has hinted at the fact that, hey, we need to use our play action game. We need to take advantage of the fact that the secondary can be gotten for Michigan state. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, even with the JJ McCarthy, the Michigan identity has been, we're going to run the ball. We're going to lean on our excellent offensive line 
and lean on our excellent running backs. And that's how we're going to win this game. I don't know if they do that against Michigan state. It's one of those fascinating things that, you know, do you rely on your identity? Do you rely on what you know you're good at? Or do you take advantage of what you know the opponent isn't? Uh, so will be very interesting to see on Saturday. Steven, you already gave us that X factor, uh, give or take, uh, of, you know, the, um, the identity of Michigan State, how they circle this game years in advance and how this is the Michigan State, you know, like the, it's the Super Bowl in many ways. And I think especially this year where Michigan State is pushing for bowl eligibility, uh, where, you know, in a season that has otherwise been a bit of a disappointment, especially in context of last season, you know, this is a way of, you know, confirming that, hey, last year, maybe we we did better than expected. Uh, and this year, we're not doing quite as well as expected, but we are on the right path as a program. Uh, it's, it's going to be, I think, a heavyweight showdown. Uh, I look at a spread that's 22 points, and I think that is way too high for Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, maybe I am, you know, a little bit cynical given the games I've seen in the past, given the games I've seen in the past 10 years or so. Uh, but I want to get your take. Uh, what, what do you think happens on Saturday? Do you think Michigan state keeps this close? Do you think Michigan state, you mentioned they could have a puncher's chance because of the interior of that defense. How do you think it plays out? Uh, man, that's, that's tough. I I do. A month ago, you know, at the start of the month, I would have said it's going to be a bloodbath and, and MSU has no shot. For some reason, the closer we've gotten, I do give them a, a little bit more, you know, of an edge. Not not an edge, but just give them a little bit more of a shot in my mind. I think that transition to a 4-3 last week against Wisconsin was really interesting, really timely. You know, I mean, that's, that's exactly the personnel you're going to want against this type of Michigan offense, I think. Um, unless they, you know, sort of change from character, as you were talking about, and throw the ball a little bit more. I think that'd be smart on their end. Um, I just don't see, you know, the other thing that I think is really a, a important angle in this one is, you know, the, there's the perception you, you said, you know, the, the, the idea that Michigan state makes this the everything game and whatnot. And that's how they've won some of these quite honestly over this last decade. Plus, you know, is, is just by being more motivated to chip on the shoulder, this and that. I think that edge is with Michigan this year, as much as it might not look like it with the, with the rankings and, and what's at stake for everybody. Like I expect this Michigan team to be foaming at the mouth because I, I understand that, you know, last year's game got away from them, and there's some, still some bitter feelings about officials and this and that. And you know, just, just they went out and accomplished everything else that they could accomplish except beat Michigan State. So that 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 foam at the mouth, you know, chippiness, chip on the shoulder type of thing that usually Michigan State brings into this game, which I still think will be there, but I think it'll be stronger on the Michigan end this year because like this group of guys, like that's kind of all that's left for them to do other than win a national championship. And you can, you, you know, that's that's TBD later on down the line, but like. Right now, like, I just think they're going to have that insane hunger to, to get this game, to beat this specific team, just given recent history and all of that. So I wanted to say that real quick. I don't think it'll be particularly close. Uh, it'll be, I don't think there's any gray area. I think Michigan wins big or Michigan State pulls off some goofy witchcraft upset, you know, like we've seen a couple times. Um, but I don't think there's, like, anything in the middle where Michigan State's just fighting, fighting, fighting and just falls short or something. I think they win or they just get blown out. And right now I'm thinking they get blown out. I think Michigan covers. I don't like doing numbers necessarily, but like something like 42-21 sort of pops in my head, 42-24. I just, Michigan State's not going to be able to score enough, I don't think. And I think Michigan will find enough ways. Even if the run game isn't humming at its traditional rate, 
I think they will find the, the, the they'll make up for it in the passing game or they'll find these other ways to get it done and, and score quite enough. I think they can get into the thirties easily, probably the forties. I don't trust Michigan state in that O line and that environment uh, to be able to put it all together um, to, to keep up points wise. So yeah, give me like a 42, 20, 42, 23, something like that for Michigan. Well, Jim Harbaugh said it himself. He was very candid in saying that during his Monday press conference, he just said, you know, the players, the Michigan players really want this. And to be honest, so do I. Uh, I think you are exactly right that that Michigan has had this game circled uh, since last year. Uh, this is also a game that Michigan State circles, and there's only one way to settle that, and that'll be on the football field at the Big House on Saturday night. Uh, for myself, Alejandro Suniga, Stephen Brooks over at Michigan State site for 24-7 Sports. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are excited to see you at the Big House on Saturday. Uh, and for everyone else, thank you for listening. A lot more content throughout the week uh, over at 247sports.com. Catch you at the Big House on Saturday. Peace. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.